Well, before we begin our Torah study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I was reading the Torah portion this week, and my gut response was, oh no, not again reading about the complaining and the fetching, the rebellion that the children of Israel are expressing. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're sick of the food already, again. And they don't have enough water, they're exasperated and they're cranky. And this time Moses gets pulled down into the same kind of stuff. And in a sense you could say he he falls into what they're in. He becomes upset with the people who are upset. Maybe you can relate to this. Do you ever get frustrated with people? Or disappointed in them? Well, this happened to Moses. And if it can happen to him, it can happen to any one of us. And his mind turns away from the Lord and he's tossed around by his own emotions and their dark emotions. They are reflective and a reaction to the same dark emotions that the people are experiencing. And Moses forgets that he's called to be an example to the people. And he forgets to show the goodness and the holiness of God in all situations, and this can happen to, to any one of us. He has a tough calling, wouldn't you say? And we also have a share in this calling. So we have a tough calling. We have a calling to have hearts that are so open to God that we're open to people even when they're close to God. And that we're ready to show kindnesses, God's mercy. Sometimes the kindness, the practical thing that we do changes the heart of an individual. If you have your Bibles with you, will you turn to Numbers chapter 20? And who has, who has a digital Bible? You have, let me see your digital Bibles. And who has a paper Bible? Can I see yours? Good. And who forgot their Bible? No, don't answer that. <laughs> Numbers 20. The people of Israel, the whole community, entered the Tzin Desert in the first month, and they stayed in Kadesh. And there Miriam died, and there she was buried. Now, this is an important detail. Pay attention to it, because it helps us understand that Moses is now in a time of mourning. He's lost his, his big sister. He's lost a woman who's a leader of Israel and a prophetess in Israel. And she has died, and Aaron and Moses are, are both in mourning. And now I want you to pay attention as we read on to the theme of death in the next verses. Miriam has died, and then look at how death is expressed and it's a balagon because the people are really confused. And as, as we're reading, oh man, you can see that Moses and Aaron are dealing with death in their family. You know, they're mourning, but the people are talking about death in such a strange way. Verse two, because the community had no water, they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. Because they had no water, they 
organized to rebel against Moses and Aaron. And you can understand that a little bit if you put yourself in their shoes and you think, you know, what are we going to do? We're all going to die out here. There's nothing to drink. There's no provision for us. And whose fault is it? Moses and Aaron. There's an old idea in the Soviet system. Someone is to blame. Yeah, so in the Soviet system, you'll find someone to blame. They don't have to be guilty, but they will be blamed for it. Because the community had no water, they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, look at this, we wish we had died when our brothers died before the Lord. So, you know, there had been several rebellions, the Korah rebellion, and God had uh, executed judgment against the rebels in order to, it, it was an extreme action, but understand this, it was the, um, the least that God could do. God uses the least powerful necessary in order to deal with hard situations. He doesn't just um, jump to the very end when, when he takes extreme measures, it's because it requires those extreme measures. And it can be compared to a doctor who sees gangrene in a limb and the limb has to be cut off. Because he knows if it's not taken care of, then it will spread and the person could completely die from that. In a way, the Korach Rebellion was like a gangrenous uh, infection. It required something very serious. The people quarreled with Moses and said, wish we, we wish we had died when our brothers died before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert? To die there, we and our livestock? So here you can see the confusion about death. It's like crazy thinking at this moment. We wish we were dead. Why do you bring us here so we can die? Those two ideas are not compatible. If they really wish they were dead, they should say, oh, good, it's almost the time. We're about to expire. But no, they're all confused, they're torn up inside, but they're tearing others up. To die there, why do you bring Adonai's community into this desert? To die there, we and our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Why did you make us leave? Egypt. At this point, they have spiritual amnesia too. They cannot remember that they were slaves in Egypt, that their baby children were ripped out of their hands and slaughtered. They can't remember how bad it was. You know, sometimes when you're in the midst of difficulty and you lose perspective, you also idealize the golden path but it wasn't really golden, and it wasn't ideal. You brought us here to this terrible place without seed, without figs, grapevines, pomegranates, or even water to drink. Moses and Aaron left the assembly, went to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. That's really powerful. In times of difficulty, we can seek the Lord. When we have trouble, that's when we want to run to the Lord. And that's what Moses and Aaron did. 
and his presence, the Lord's guidance can make all the difference. And in fact, the Lord tells Moses what to do. Numbers 20, verse seven. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, assemble the community, you and Aaron, your brother, and before your eyes, tell the rock to produce its water. You will bring them water out of the rock and thus enable the community and their livestock to drink. So how is the water to come forth? Moses speaks, right? That's the instruction. Tell the rock. Rock, water. I'm not sure if that's the right instruction. I don't know if you have to say it nice or something. But he had some understanding. Moses took the staff from the presence of the Lord as the Lord had ordered him. And then verse 10 begins with a very important word, but, but. But after Moses and Aaron had assembled the community in front of the rock, Moses said to them, listen here you rebels, are we supposed to bring you water from this rock? Yes. Then Moses raised his hand and hit the rock twice with his staff. Water flowed out in abundance in the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't trust in me, so as to cause me to be regarded as holy by the people of Israel, you will not bring this community into the land that I have given them. So it's a, it's a hard situation. Moses is, is the leader of all of Israel, and he has forgot to think about the effect that he's having on the people. But also he's, he forgot to take into account how the Lord viewed him. And he was taking something for granted perhaps that, that the Lord's view of what was going on was the same as his view. He thought, oh, he, he must feel the same way I do. He didn't think, I wonder what this will mean to the Lord if I treat the people this way. I wonder how the Lord will regard me if I do this. That's what the Lord says is his failure. You didn't trust in me, and you didn't do what was necessary so the people would think of me as holy. You were so upset that you forgot to trust me and to have in your heart and in your way of thinking what I have in my heart and my thinking. Our thinking, our, our ways, our actions and our words are all related to each other. And it now is a sad moment for Moses because he discovers he's not going into the promised land. Let's go to Numbers chapter 21 and pick up in verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor on the road toward the Sea of Suf in order to go around the land of Edom, but the people's tempers grew short because of the detour. Guys, can you relate to this? When you're stuck in traffic or you've got to go the long way or someone won't let you, this is my pet peeve, they won't let me in 
to the lane I need to be in in order to make to make the direction I need to go in possible. And I find myself getting um, more irritated by that. <laughs> That's why you have a big truck? Yes, so you can, <laughs> you can just force your way in, right? Recently I was in Washington, D.C., and I had rented a small car, but they didn't have it, and they upgraded me to this big black stretch SUV that looked like a government vehicle. Much bigger than I'm accustomed to driving. But it was DC, and I found it was hard to get around, you know, to follow the maps, and even the GPS wasn't helpful. And so I was on the George Washington Parkway in DC, and I didn't know, am I supposed to go straight or turn right? Do I need to be in this lane to the left or to the right? So I just slowed down and I slowed down some more and I slowed down some more. And what was amazing, because I was in this big government looking vehicle, everybody slowed down. <laughs> no one honked and no one gave me, you know, the number one salute. Everyone just backed off and I thought, I could get used to this. <laughs> it was so funny. But I can tell you, I can relate to this, this idea of tempers getting short because of a detour. Maybe it's not a detour that gets your temper short, but each one of us has something that triggers our temper, triggers us um, losing our peace or peace of mind. And uh, the people were cranky because they were sick of the food. They lost their temper because they didn't have water. And now they're losing their temper because they got to go the long way. Verse 5, and the people spoke against, and this is important to pay attention to, the people spoke against God and against Moses. So now the problem of the heart becomes more clear. It's not just anger with human leadership, it's, angry. it's anger with God, clearly. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? That's not just expressed to Moses, it's expressed to the Lord. What are you doing? You, don't raise your hand to respond to this, but, but can anybody relate to praying like that? to God, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What, what are you not thinking? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no real food, there's no water, and we're sick of this miserable stuff we're eating. That reminded me of, of something that uh, some of the POWs in Vietnam experienced. They saw that if someone said, I can't eat the rice anymore, that it wouldn't be long before they were dead. That at the point when they were giving up, uh, they, they lost the sense of hope 
and even a process for getting meaning uh, that could strengthen them and preserve them. And it manifests in death. They just die. They died. Viktor Frankl wrote a book uh, reflecting on his experiences in the Holocaust, Man in Search of Meaning. And he, he developed an idea called logotherapy, logo, logos therapy, meaning um, the therapeutic value of meaning. And he found that in, in the concentration camps, when, when people held on to um, a greater purpose, when, when they could say, you may enslave me, but my spirit can't be enslaved. And when they had this sense that there was a greater purpose in life that they could still hold on to and show a kindness to this person or that, even in the midst of their own suffering. When they did that, they, they survived and they persevered. But when they lost that sense of meaning, often their lives quickly came to an end. And there is a sense, I think, when people get so sick of, of life and its difficulties that they lose, they lose much of the power of their future. And instead of the future uh, coming and bringing them forward, the future is just lost and they waste away or die. Verse six, in response, the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. They bit the people and many of Israel's people died. Tough, tough situation for sure. Well, I want to move to another passage that gives us an alternative view about how to live. It's, it's in Isaiah chapter 55, in verse 12. We'll look at another verse or two as well. This is a prophetic word to Israel, to the Jewish people, you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you. There will be shouts of joy and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. You'll go out with joy and be led forward with peace. Now this is a prophetic word for Israel to reflect upon, to think about the captivity of Egypt and the captivity in Babylon and to hold on to hope and to hold on to the peace that God has and to understand this, that God is still in charge even when the Jewish people are in exile or when we're facing trouble. And he's telling the people prophetically, you will go out with joy and you will be led forth with peace. This presents an alternative view of how to process life during times of trouble. You can be led by peace. Peace can go before you even when you're not in a situation that's peaceful. It's a word about freedom and deliverance from bondage and restoration. It's a, it's a word about a new day. But this, this new day doesn't just start later, it starts now inside of us when we embrace it. 
It was God's hope for the Egypt generation that they would go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And it was God's hope for the Babylon generation that they would come back from the exile with joy and with peace. You see, it's, it's God's hope for what we could call the Israel generation, the generation that he delivered from the Holocaust and delivered from death and bondage and slavery and brought into Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, and into the kingdom of God. It's a word for us today and for all the Jewish people. What God is looking for is made clear in the verses that precede. How is it that you get into the condition that you can be led forth with peace? Isaiah chapter 55, just a few verses earlier, verses six and seven and eight, speaks of this. It starts with this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Seek him. If you remember hide and seek, Seek is an, an action that you take. It's a positive action. It's not passive by any means. Seek the Lord. Go after the Lord while he may be found and call, of, call on him while he is near. Then verse seven, let the wicked one forsake his own way and the unrighteous one his own thoughts. This is very interesting because the way can speak about behavior, but it can also speak about perspective. It can speak about personality. It can speak about temperament. It can speak about habits. And it says, let the, un, the wicked person turn away from all those things that he's accustomed to do and the way he's accustomed to, to process life. And let the unrighteous man forsake his own thoughts to turn away from his way of thinking. Now sometimes people try to just focus on the behavior but not give attention to the thinking and the feeling. And I can tell you this, you can get lost because of your thoughts. You can lose that clear perspective. You can, you can fail to see that God is at work and that God is present and God is at hand because of the way you're thinking. And then let him return to the Lord so that the Lord will have compassion. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Then verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Now that, that implies something, that God wants us to learn his thoughts. He wants us to learn his ways. He's not just sitting in judgment and saying, you are unlike me in the way you think and act. No, he's saying, I want you to turn away from that and turn to me, and you start walking with me, and you start seeing things the way I see things. Give up your evil ways. 
your evil thoughts. Return to the Lord, our God. He will be merciful and forgive your sins. This is a word from the Lord to those who are separated from God, but it's also a reminder for everyone who's been close with God, but finds that trouble or difficulty or hardship or unexplained challenges have caused separation of the heart and of the mind. If you find yourself in the darkness late at night, awake, just wondering in frustration and anger, God, where are you? If you find yourself torn, you used to have joy in life, looking forward to the next day, but now when you finally get to sleep, you don't even want to wake up. You don't want to face that day. Then maybe what's happened is your heart and your thoughts have moved away from God. If it could happen to Moses. Now what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to find the peace that God has for us and to allow him to lead us with peace. Philippians puts it this way, Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God. That's an important phrase. The peace of God. Let's say that together. The peace of God. That means God's peace. So think about this. You have peace. I have peace. God has peace. Whose peace do you think is really bigger? God's peace. Right? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Messiah Yeshua. God's peace will guard you. God's peace will protect you. But what if your peace is like inadequate? Of course it's inadequate. By definition, our peace is not enough. God's peace. Now here's what you find is God is not an anxious sort. He's not sitting up in heaven wringing his hands and going, oh man, this is really bad. I don't have any idea what to do. He's not torn with worry. He's not necessarily even moved by our worry. What moves God? Our faith. What does faith mean? It means trusting him and acting in a way that reflects that trust, right? Without worry, it's impossible to come to God. Without worry, it's impossible to please God. That's how many people think. What does the Bible say? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith. That's what God was saying to Moses. Moses, man of faith, you lost your faith. You didn't trust in me. And you were standing before the whole nation and you had a chance to lead them towards my holiness and you didn't do it because you didn't do it. You lost your faith. 
doesn't mean you'd lose your salvation. Not in that way. It, it, it means you're not trusting me. And all the eyes were on you, and you weren't trusting me. In fact, you were just angry. Your heart wasn't filled with compassion. You were just angry. The peace of God. The peace of God. God's own peace will guard you. Guard your thoughts. Guard your emotions. Now here's what you can find. If the peace of God is guarding and protecting you, then when you get outside of his peace, you recognize it. And you say, whoa, wait a minute. Something's not right. I want to move back to the safety that God's peace has for me. The worst decisions I've ever made are the decisions that I make when I don't have peace. It's better for me not to make a decision than to make a decision when I don't have peace. Because when I don't have peace, there's a reason. It's not because it's a difficult situation. It's not because it's a hard situation. It's because something in my spirit is attesting to the fact that the peace of God isn't leading me. That's why I don't have peace. That, I hope, is the same for you. It's not a matter of comfort. It's not a matter of ease. It's not a matter of, well, I don't like to do this or I don't like to do that. But when I don't have peace and I try to make a decision anyway, you know what? I am almost guaranteed it's not God's decision. How many can relate to that? But the peace that God has, it, it brings peace to our spirits when we do what's pleasing to the Lord. When, when we're saying, Lord, my eyes are on you. And then he shows us, go in this direction. And you do it, you feel this sense you know, I'm a little bit better than I was just a minute ago. And when you're double-minded and you're thinking, ah, no, I'm not ready to go that way, we become troubled just a little bit more. The peace that accompanies doing what's pleasing to the Lord is, is incredible. And the, the peace of God is connected to what you could say is a well-tuned conscience when your conscience is, is tuned towards what pleases God, then when you know something is pleasing to him, it, it makes something inside of you want to do it that way. It's that part of you that's been born again, born from above, born... Uh, because of Yeshua, it's been redeemed and resurrected. It doesn't want to do what's displeasing to God. And when you allow that part to have the final word in your soul, then it leads to great blessing. Yeshua said this, last scripture to think about. It was recorded in John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
my peace, right? It's a gift, and it's his peace. I'm leaving peace with you. It's my peace. And he said, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Not as the world gives. It's not the peace that the world has to offer. It's another kind of peace. It's God's peace. Peace I leave with you. Peace I, I put into your hands. Peace I'm, 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 I'm sharing with you. Not because I want you to try to act better, but because I want you to have all the benefits of this covenant. My peace I give to you. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you feel. It will change your perspective. It will change your ways. It will guard you in your thoughts and your emotions. Now, if you're not guarded, you know what happens. Depending on your personality, your thoughts get the better of you. Um, how many here find it easy to imagine what's going to go wrong next? <laughs> it's like a gift. Uh, I see how this is going to go about. But thoughts about what can go wrong can be productive, but they can also be harmful. Because they can get in the way of first asking God his perspective. And first getting a hold of God's perspective. And so they can be reasonable thoughts and assessments based on the evidence of reality, but they are not reflective of what God wants to do. God wants Moses to bring forth water. Speak to the rock, it'll come. Just like that. That's how God wants to work. There's protection when God's peace is watching over you. And when you say to yourself, you know what, I want to do that which is pleasing to God. I mean, you're here tonight because you want to be a God pleaser. That's what's in your heart. You're here tonight because you've already made a decision. I'm, I'm not complacent about life. I'm not lukewarm about the Lord. I want to serve the Lord with my whole heart, with all that I am. And I can tell you there's such joy in having God's peace as a substitute for our own peace. It's like this. You've got your worn out peace. I've got my shoddy peace. And we go to the Lord and say, here's what I have. What do you have? And he pulls out this peace that's amazing. The shalom that's unbelievable, that's that's gorgeous, that's enticing, that's wonderful, that's full of goodness. And he says, well, I tell you what, if you'll just put your peace away, you can throw it away for all I care, and take my peace, it'll protect you. You can have my peace. Would you like my peace instead of the peace you have? And when we say, yes, I do, he says, okay, follow me. 
follow me, listen to me, do what I say, stay close to me, seek me when I can be found. I can be found now, so stay close. Listen to me. Turn away from the old ways and the old patterns. Turn away. And when you do that, you discover something. This piece is powerful. This piece is awesome. This piece is greater than I could have imagined. It's not because I'm entering into denial, like, oh, I have no problems. It's not name it and claim it theology. If I say um, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. If I deny I have symptoms, for instance. Yeah, try that with a broken bone. It doesn't work so well. Or an amputated limb. As we're getting ready to close here, think about one simple phrase that we say to each other when we gather at synagogue on Shabbat. What do we say? Shabbat Shalom, right? The peace of Shabbat. In, in Israel, when you want to say, how are you, to someone, to a guy you would say, Mashlomcha, to a woman, Mashlomech, what is your peace? What is your peace? You can say, how is your peace, but it's, you know, literally, what is your peace? And one of the great answers in Israel is, Beseder, in order. What's your peace? In order. How are you? I'm good. That's what it means. But what it literally is, is what is your peace? It's a good thing to ask ourselves, what is my peace? What is the condition of my peace? And how much more do I want God's peace? So anybody want an extra dose of God's peace this weekend? Yeah, me too. I'm with you. Let's, let's ask the Lord for this. Yeshua, you said that your peace is what you were giving us. That you were leaving your peace with us. You weren't taking it away. You were giving it to us. And it's not like the peace of the world. It's not just based on pleasant circumstances. It's a peace that is greater than um, our own understanding and intellectual capacity. It's a peace that guards and protects us. And we're saying, Lord, thank you for your peace. We receive your peace. We want to be led forth by your peace. And let it be that we get all the protection that comes from your peace. We ask this in the name of Yeshua, Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? And if you're standing alone, move just enough so that you're not. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you, guarding and protecting you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine on you. The Lord be gracious to you with all of his favor. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace.
In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.